there's these uh, phrases that we use from time to time that we all kind of know what they mean, but we never stop to think about them. Um, and there's this phrase, maybe you've probably said it, uh, when the cat's away, the mice will play. And what this phrase means is that when the person in authority is not there, that you have freedom to make choices that you wouldn't otherwise make. Now, if you're a parent or you have worked with kids, babysat, any of that, you know how true this is with kids, right? They, they, you set down rules, you give them guidelines, you, you want to instill values in, in, in their life. And then there's this moment, especially as a parent, maybe where you leave the house and you start leaving them home alone more and, and you hope that they make good and wise choices. And, and for sure, like when they graduate high school and go to college, you hope that the biblical guidelines that you set for them, that they continue to make choices according to those things. But then there's these moments, right, where you're away and, and you... Give your kids freedom, and, and maybe they make unwise decisions. I lived this firsthand. I grew up in a home with two brothers, three boys, and uh, actually thinking about it this morning, I should probably write my mom a letter to apologize for the damage that we caused to our home growing up. Uh, but when my mom and dad started you know, leaving us home alone at times, we often made poor choices. And I mean, nothing super major, but it would, like around Christmas time, if they left, we would unwrap all of our Christmas presents and see what they were. Um, my older brother and I, we did this thing where for some reason we had a a whole package of bottle rockets and uh, this is the disclaimer. Please don't try this at home. Kids don't, don't do this. Um, but we took these bottle rockets and we had an old golf club and in the the grip of the golf club, there's a, a hole in the grip. And what we would do is we would stick the bottle rocket in there. We would open up my brother's second story window. We would light it and try to shoot the bottle rocket out the window which was really fun until we hit the window a few times and it ricocheted back in the room and it explodes and we're half deaf and now the house smells like gunpowder and my mom comes home and wants to know like why does the house smell like gunpowder i'm like uh, i left my hot pocket in the fridge or microwave too long maybe that is burned maybe that's what you're smelling like there's no good way to explain that but in that moment of having the freedom to make choices when my parents weren't around we often didn't make wise choices But I I tell you that because the the tension of that, of I can't be there to guide my kids through everything, is is part of the tension that Paul feels in Philippians. In Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to read just this brief section for you and then we'll dive into it. Paul says, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your faith. Now, if you remember Paul's situation, Paul has been arrested and he is in prison for proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul loves and cares for the church at Philippi. The problem is the church at Philippi is experiencing some disunity. We know in chapter four, Paul names two people by names and and says, I encourage them to get along uh, for the cause of Christ. And so Paul has this church that he loves and cares about. Disunity is growing in and Paul can't be there. And so from a distance, Paul sends this letter and he says, hey, even though I can't be there, I pray that you would continue to walk in obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that is this moment where Paul is trying to speak into the Philippian church, this call back to walking rooted in Jesus Christ. Let's pick up Philippians chapter two as we dive into this this morning. I'm actually going to go back and read what Pastor Ben read last week, and then we'll continue it forward from there. Paul says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, 
not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice with all of you. And you too should be glad and rejoice with me. So here in Philippians chapter two, Paul continues this writing, encouraging the Philippian church to walk together in unity and maturity as the body of Christ. And and I think the big picture of Paul's call to the Philippians in this chapter is this. It's surrender your life completely to Jesus and live as a transformed community. Right? Live fully surrendered to Jesus Christ. And as you live surrendered to Jesus Christ and experience the transformative work of Christ in you, you are a changed people. And when you're a changed people, that is going to drastically change how you live and dwell and do life together in community. And so as Paul builds this argument, he begins with this statement of rooting the, the Philippian church in this idea that we in Christ, we are transformed. That we are no longer who we used to, to be. And in Philippians chapter two, in verse 12, as Paul continues writing, this is where Paul says, listen, I can't be with you in person. You've always walked in obedience. Now continue in this. Paul is saying, because of the work of Christ, you're transformed, you're changed. Continue in this work. Live out the implication of what it means that your life in Jesus Christ has been radically changed and transformed. Let's watch, walk through this. Philippians chapter, 12, uh, chapter two, verse 12. Notice that this passage begins with the word therefore. Right? And we've talked about this before, that any time you see the word therefore, you want to go, well, what's it there for? This section right here ties back to the rest of Philippians chapter 2. Right? Paul gave them the example of Jesus Christ. He says, in y'all's relationships with one another, have the mindset of Christ, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name. Verse 12, therefore, Paul says, because of that example of Jesus, Paul says, therefore, my dear friends. Now, that that phrase, dear friends, Paul deeply cares for this church. This is a term of genuine endearment. Paul says, as you've always obeyed. Now, when Paul uses this word obey... Paul does not mean walk in obedience to me, Paul. Paul, Paul in nowhere in Philippians does Paul make a sort of power move to say, Philippians, make sure you're walking in obedience to me. No, when Paul talks about walking in obedience, he means that the Philippian church has walked in obedience to Jesus Christ, that they've walked in obedience to the gospel, that they have conformed their life to the pattern of Jesus Christ. 
And Paul is reminding them, he goes, this is how you believe. This is how you've lived out your faith. You've always walked in conformity to the gospel. He goes, now that I can't be with you and there's disunity threatening the church, Paul goes, double down on this. He says, you've always been a community that's walked in obedience to the gospel. So he says, hold on to this. He says, even more now in my absence, Paul goes, don't let go of the gospel, right? And so he encourages them. He says, to continue Don't let go of this. Continue in your faith. And now notice what Paul says here. He says to work out your salvation. Now, when Paul says to work out your salvation, Paul is not saying that you're saved by works. That that, that is absolutely what Paul is not saying. To, To work out your salvation means that you and I are wrestling with the implications of what does it mean in everyday life that I am a follower of Jesus Christ? Paul is encouraging them to continue to push into their pursuit of Christ, to work out tangibly what it means that Christ is doing a transformative work inwardly. You see, we're we're not saved by works, but when you experience the presence of Jesus Christ and the transformation he brings, Paul says outwardly, there should be a dramatic difference. There should be an outward change in how you tangibly live. So when Paul says work it out, he means outwardly in your life, day in, day out, as a husband, father, as someone who goes to work, as a colleague, as a friend, whatever, in all spheres of life, Paul says there are outward implications for the inner change that Christ has done in you. And church, this is the beauty of the gospel, not just that we're forgiven of sin, but that we are set free from sin and called into life in Christ. And God transforms us and changes us and makes us new from the inside out. And so Paul says, work out your salvation. And he uses these two words. He says, with fear and trembling. Now, the reason Paul encourages the Philippian church to work out their faith with fear and trembling, he says, because it's God who works in you to will and to act. And so when Paul talks about fear and trembling, this is to have a disposition of awe and reverence before God. Paul says you should work out your your faith with this disposition of a servant. A servant is one who has the disposition of fear and trembling. A servant is the one who comes before the master with awe and reverence, with a disposition of humble disobedience and unyielding submission that says my life is yours. And so Paul says work out your faith and do it with the disposition of a servant. Why? Because God is working in you to transform your life from the inside out. Paul goes, this is not a human endeavor. That God is doing something in you. He's transforming you and changing you. And so because this is the unmerited work of God's grace in your life, Paul says, come before God with this sense of awe and reverence. I cannot believe that the God of all creation would do this work of transformation in me. And not only that, but remember that Paul has just reminded the Philippians in chapter two, verses six through 11, that Jesus Christ laid down his life on the cross. That even though Jesus is God in the flesh, he was obedient to death on the cross. And so this is the same context of that. Paul goes, with that in mind, come before God with awe and reverence, with humility, with surrender and submission before God in, in, in utter just amazement that the God of all creation would send his son to die on you and God is doing a work of transformation in you. So now look at what Paul says. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it's God who works in you. Do you notice the play on word? Work out your salvation because God works in you. Work out, work in, right? Paul wants to draw this contrast. You are living outwardly different because God is doing a transformative work in you. And notice how Paul says this. He said, God works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Think about the beauty of what Paul's saying. 
that God works in you to change the very things that you desire, and God in his grace and the power and presence of the Holy Spirit empowers you to act rightly aligned with God's word and God's will. In the Old Testament, we have the, the law. If you, if you read through Leviticus, it can be a weight at times, right? But the law is this writing of God to the people of Israel, and, and in the law, it describes the way of holiness. And when you read the law, God will say, here's some things that Israel should do. And he talks about sacrifices and, and, and the ways that Israel should worship. And those are proactive. A holy life looks like doing these things. On the other side, when you read the law, God will say, there's some things that Israel should not do. And God lists all of these things that Israel should abstain from. And, and the law is really a description of holy living. Now, he, he, here's the challenge with the law. The law could tell you, here's what right living looks like, but the law could not empower you to actually live rightly. So, so the conundrum has always been, here's the law, here's what holy living looks like. No, go walk in accordance with it. The problem is, is that we are depraved people. We are prone to sin. The problem is we desire, apart from Jesus Christ, we desire sin. We desire rebellion. Our heart is bent towards evil. And so the law could never bring itself to fulfillment because the law shows you right living, but the law does not empower you for right living. This is why in the New Testament, Paul calls the law, he says it's a yoke, a burden that neither we nor our forefathers could bear. Now, the beauty of the gospel, what Paul is saying is he say, listen, life in Christ is not just the law. He goes, no, no, no. God does a transformative work in you and God works in you to will, to desire the things of God. I love that from the core of who we are, as we surrender our lives to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is at work in us, changing our will, changing the very things that we desire. And, and, and Paul says, not only does he change your will, but he empowers you to act in alignment with the will of God. So what the law was powerless to do, God's grace is more than sufficient and more abundant and more able to fulfill that God changes and transforms us from the inside out. And so often when we talk about salvation, we talk about the forgiveness or the freedom of sin, but the, the gospel doesn't stop there. Yes, Jesus offers us forgiveness, but what Jesus offers us is more substantial than that. Not only does God free us from sin because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but he changes us from the inside out, giving us a new heart. I, I love the way the prophet Ezekiel says it. He says, I'll remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. This is a heart that is open and responsive to the things of God. This is a work that only God could do. And so Paul is reminding the Philippians, you are a changed, transformed people because of the power and the presence of God at work in you. Y'all, that's good news. That where once we desired rebellion, now God is at work in us changing our will so that we desire the things of God. And not only do we desire the things of God, but God in his grace and in the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit empowers us to move that direction. And the beauty of the gospel is that God is walking with us, present with us, empowering us for new life in Christ. And so Paul wants the people of Philippians, he says, walk in obedience, walk in conformity to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember that it's God who's at work in you to will and to act. And, and here's why Paul says, you're a transformed people. Number two, life in Christ transforms how we engage in community, right? This is the larger point of what Paul is saying in Philippians chapter two. It's what Pastor Ben walked us through so well last week. 
That when we encounter Jesus Christ and we are changed and transformed and set free, it transforms how we engage in community. That's why Paul said last week, have the mindset of Christ. And what's beautiful, right, as we see the context of this week, is Paul doesn't just say, hey, have the same mindset of Christ. Try to think like Jesus. What we see in in, uh, verse 12 through 13 is that God is actually changing and transforming us, helping us to think like he does. So watch how this transforms how we do life in community. Chapter 2, verse 14. Paul says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. So now Paul comes back to their life together in community, and he says, as you live and dwell together as a community, I want you to do everything without grumbling or arguing. And I love how Paul says everything, right? He doesn't just say, hey, in in most things, you should avoid grumbling and arguing. No, Paul goes, in the totality of how you do life together, do it without grumbling and arguing. Now, Paul is not saying that you can't have disagreements, In fact, when you read the New Testament, we frequently see disagreements in the New Testament church. When you read the Gospels and Acts, uh, in Acts there were disagreements about which widows should get food when. Later in Acts, there were disagreements about what do we do with food sacrificed to idols, and the church came together and they made decisions about these things. In uh, Paul's letter to the church at Galatia, there's a moment where Paul goes, Peter was wrong and I I, uh, opposed him to his face. Right, So we see disagreements. What Paul is talking about here, he's actually comparing the church at Philippi to ancient Israel in the story of the Exodus. We'll get to that in a second. But he basically says Israel grumbled and complained against God and against Moses. But he says to the church at Philippi, in your life together as a community, don't get stuck in murmuring and grumbling. Right, And so when he talks about grumbling and murmuring, he's not talking about disagreements. He's talking about these moments where we come together and go, I can't believe that person did that. Do you see what I can't do you see that? Hey, why, why would the pastor make that decision? I, is he, he's crazy. Right? And, and we like these grumblings. And, and here's the thing. We are a culture that loves to grumble and argue, right? I mean, I mean you, you think about like, you could post something really innocuous on social media, like, I love street tacos. And somebody would be like, Well, you don't like burritos? He's like, well, no, they're fine. I just, I like street tacos today. Like, well, you didn't even mention uh, lasagna. Well, yeah, because like we, we sometimes are looking for a fight. We're looking for excuses to jump in and grumble and argue. And Paul goes, listen, church, he says, I want the body of Christ because you're transformed people, because God is forming his will in you and creating in you a new desire to act in accordance with the word of God. He said, in the way that you do community life together, you are leaving behind unproductive grumblings and murmurings, and you're not getting stuck in pointless arguments about things that don't matter. Paul says, you are unified in the cause of Christ moving forward for the sake of the gospel because God is at work in you to will and to act according to the good purpose of God. And the good purpose of God is that people would know him and experience eternal life with him. And for too many of us, we are willing to sacrifice the message of the gospel for our own grumblings and arguings. And Paul goes, don't get stuck there. Get rid of that. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Live as a transformed people. All right, and I look at this and I go, okay, Paul, for you, why is this such a big deal? Here's why. Look at verse 15. For Paul, this is point three, a transformed community demonstrates the gospel to the world. Paul goes, when, when the church lives 
as a transformed people, demonstrating the power and presence of the Holy Spirit and the transforming grace of Jesus Christ among them, culture looks at the church and goes, there is something fundamentally different about the church. Why do they dwell together in unity? Why do brothers and sisters from all walks of life, why do they love and serve one another? Because a transformed community for Paul demonstrates the gospel to the world. Let me, let me go back to Philippians 2, verse 15. Paul says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that, right? Here's the the effect of it. Here's the difference it makes. So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. So Paul says that you would be blameless and pure and faultless. In other words, Paul says culture would look at you and there, there would be nothing that they could point at the church and say, see, they're just like us. He goes, no, 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 you are pure. You are living uncontaminated by the things of culture. You are living rightly rooted in the word of God. And so Paul says you can be children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Now, let's throw this comparison up. When Paul talks about being a warped and crooked generation, he's comparing the Philippian church to the book of Deuteronomy and to ancient Israel. Maybe that's, yeah, there we go. Deuteronomy 32.5, they are corrupt and not his children. To their shame, they are a warped and crooked generation. This is how Moses describes Israel when they consistently grumble and complain against God. Israel is God's chosen people, and they were to walk in obedience and conformity to the word and to the ways of God. But Israel, they struggled with rebellion. That's why they wandered in the desert for 40 years. And so Moses says, to their shame, they're warped and crooked. They're not his children. They're not walking in obedience to the ways of God. And so as Paul writes to the church at Philippi, he goes, don't be like Israel. Don't do what they did. He says, you be walking in obedience, walking in conformity with the work of Jesus Christ that's transforming you and changing you so that you live out the truth of your identity as children of God. And so part of the question is, how do children of God dwell together in unity? And Paul says it's without grumbling, it's without arguing, it's having the same mindset of Christ. And notice what Paul says, going back again to Philippians 2. Paul says, then, when you live out this identity, verse 16, or end of verse 15, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And so what Paul says is as the church lives out the truth of their identity, as God's people walking in obedience to the transformative work of what Christ is doing in us, he says, you become a light in a dark world that demonstrates the power and the presence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And y'all, I think our, our world is pretty warped and crooked. And I think what the world needs is to experience God's grace and the power of transformation and new life that only Jesus Christ can bring. And the church has the opportunity to bear witness to the power of the gospel to bring us together in Jesus Christ and for brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity. Now, in the ancient world, what this would have looked like, again, Philippi was a community where lots of people of power in the Roman culture would retire. Roman generals would retire, they'd be given land in Philippi, and yet the church would have been this place where you might have a retired Roman general sitting down to a meal with a slave. Now, in a culture that values power, in a culture that values uh, possessions, in a culture that values status and standing, nowhere else would this have occurred, and yet in the church, you would see people from all walks of life sitting down in unity together, and the ancient culture would have said, why, why is the church so different? Why do they dwell together in peace and in unity? The church demonstrated a kind of community that was only possible because of the redeeming, transforming power of God's grace, and so the church, as a unified body, becomes an outward, 
tangible demonstration of the transforming power of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, when we live like this, you shine like stars in the darkness in the middle of a warped and crooked generation. Have you ever been outside on a really dark night, maybe West River somewhere, maybe out on a farm somewhere, away from town, away from all the lights? And have you ever looked up and go, wow, wow, there's so many stars? And just seeing the sky illuminated, right? This is kind of the image that Paul is presenting. In the middle of lots of darkness, he says, the church dwelling in unity, doing everything without grumbling or arguing, exists as a light in the middle of that darkness. As God empowers us to will and to act according to his good purpose. Now, notice too that Paul says, verse 16, as you hold firmly to the word of life, Now, the word of life there, this is Paul's teaching to them of the gospel, which, by the way, the church at Philippi, they didn't have the Bible like we have it. Did you notice that Philippians chapter 2, Paul basically summarizes the gospel? Jesus went to the cross and died and God lifted him up. This is, Paul is reminding them of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, you have to hold firmly to that word. Church, we live in a day and age where we have access to the Bible, to God's word. Likewise, as Paul writes to the church at Philippi, we need to hold firmly to the word of life. And I love that Paul doesn't just say hold to it. He says, hold firmly to it, right? This is uncompromising. This is, this is a priority in our lives. We are holding to it firmly, not letting it go. So to, to, to give us a tangible means of being in the word, this is why we put together this Lent guide, right? We went back and forth and, and I looked at different devotionals and devotionals are great, but the thing that I just, I felt convictional about was God saying we need to call our people to be in the word. And, and I recognize that sometimes it's hard to know where do I start? What do I read? And so the season of Lent begins on Ash Wednesday. That's uh, this coming Wednesday. And it's 40 days, not counting Sundays, up until Easter. So what you'll find is this detachable little bookmark here. On the back side of it, it's reading one chapter a day. And if you read one chapter a day for 40 days, this will guide you through the Gospels of Luke and Mark. If you don't know where to start, start here. Start reading a chapter a day. Now on the displays out there next to this are some blank journals. I encourage you if, you, if you've never journaled and reflected on scripture, you go, I don't even know if that's for me. I want you to try it. Grab one of those and there's some reflection questions. There's some things that you can write, uh, insights, things that, that God brings to mind as you're reading the gospels. Begin to write those things down. As you read uh, the, the, the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, uh, w- what things would you, would you pray about? Begin to write and reflect on those things because church, we have to tangibly hold firm to the word of life. And so I want to give this to us as a practical tool to get in the word, to saturate our lives in the word. So I encourage you to take one of these, grab one of those journals on the way out. And one chapter is very accessible, right? You can read one chapter and pray and reflect in 10, 15, 20 minutes, right? Start there. And and, and here's the thing. Here's the other thing I'm going to encourage you. We, We made a tearaway bookmark. Can I encourage you not to do this on a Bible app? I love Bible apps. I I think they're great. Here's my problem. Maybe you're more disciplined than I am. It's everything else that comes on the phone, right? And so I'll I'll sit down and I go, okay, I'm going to read or I'm going to do this. And I go, oh, I have 10 unread emails. Let's check that. Hmm. I have two unread text messages. Okay, a push notification. Okay, no. And then it's, you spent 25 minutes reading the word, but it was 22 minutes in Instagram and three minutes reading, Right? 
so what I'm going to encourage you to do is to use a physical Bible. That's why we made it a bookmark. If you don't have a Bible, stop by the info desk. We will get you one. But I encourage you to, to just set aside some time to be undistractedly in God's word to practice what it looks like to hold firmly to the word of life. And I love that it's not just truth. It's not just the word. It is the word of life. And there's this moment in the gospels where lots of people fall away from Jesus and Jesus looks at his disciples and he goes, are you going to abandon me too? And the disciples respond by saying, Lord, where would we go? You have the word of life. If we believe this is the word of life, church, it is vitally important that we are saturated in it. So for Paul, his call to the Philippians is to surrender their lives completely to Jesus and to live as a transformed community. This looks like the three things we talked about. Number one, living in the truth that in Christ we're transformed. That being transformed in Christ transforms how we engage in community, number two. And number three, a transformed community demonstrates the gospel to the world. I want to give us three things to take away from this. Number one is I want you to think about yielding your life fully to Christ. Now, there's a, there's a couple instances I want you to think through. If you're not following Christ, I would encourage you to let today be a moment where you go, I want to yield my life to Jesus. I want to know what it is to live saturated in the word of life and to experience the power and presence of God tangibly in my life. I pray today's the day you'd make that decision. But, but maybe you're someone who's been walking with Jesus, and yet there's these areas of your life that you've been holding on to. God, I, I want to follow you, but I want to control my finances. God, I want to follow you, but I want to make my own decisions about my career. God, I want to follow you, but I want to have control of my family life. And God is saying, I want you to yield all of that into me. And so maybe today is a moment where you say, God, I've been following you, but I've been trying to hold on to some things. I, I want to yield my whole life to you. I want to yield my finances to you, my family to you. Lord, it's yours. Would you show me in the word of life how to live and steward those things? Secondly, the tangible takeaway, hold firmly to the word. And th this is a great tangible application thing. Take, if you don't know where to start, you've never read the word, start here. Luke chapter one, we'll start this Wednesday. Read the first chapter of Luke and reflect on it and ask questions and walk through the, the prayer guide. Just begin to be a person who's living life in the word. And number three, do you need to let go of a place of grumbling or arguing? There's a place in your life that you just, you find yourself being cynical and you find yourself being quick to point out the falls, uh, the faults and flaws of others. You find yourself getting uh, kind of stuck in this place of murmuring and wanting to point the finger and useless arguments. And maybe God's saying, you, you, you need to let that go. What does that look like in your life today? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for Paul's word to the church at Philippi. And Lord, I thank you that he begins with this reminder of Jesus, what you did for us on the cross, that you are in very nature, Jesus, you are God and you are deserving of all the glory and all the honor. And yet, Lord, when you were worth and deserving of all the glory and all the honor, you laid it aside and you became obedient to death for our sake. You died on the cross, paying the penalty for our sin that we could know life in you. And Father, that is so humbling. So I pray, God, that we would have the disposition that Paul calls us to, that we would come before you with humble awe and reverence, 
that we would yield our lives to you fully, that we would root ourselves deeply and hold firmly to the word of life. And God, as we experience the ways that you set us free from sin and the ways that you transform us from the inside out, Lord, would we be a transformed community that dwells together in unity, that becomes a demonstration in a dark world of the beauty and the hope and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, the hope in all of this is it's not a try hard gospel. It's a full surrender to you. And as Paul says, it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Lord, would you change us from the inside out? Change our will, change the things we desire. Lord, empower us to step firmly into the truth of your word. Father, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.